Hi, everybody. My name is Astuti Marto Sudirjo. Welcome to Uplift My Life Today, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Brandley, a Zurich-based scientific dating and relationship coach who is also a certified matchmaker. Kelly is supporting people from around the globe who want to rekindle failing relationships or to start over and get back into the dating scene following a divorce. Here, we are discussing about conscious dating and relationship. Basically, what it takes to develop and grow a happy and healthy relationship, including the importance of knowing what needs you have, having clear common values with your future or even current life partner, and understanding of what your attachment style is. So get ready. This is an episode loaded with information and tips. Enjoy! Hi everybody, welcome to this uh, podcast episode. It's great to have you back here. A few years ago, I read a quote from Melinda Gates that really struck a chord with me. She basically said that one of the most important investments we make in our lives is whom we choose to marry or having long-term relationship with. And I agree with her. The quality of our relationship often comes up in so many conversations I have had in my life, my adult life. We are always interested in ways to find, build, and keep an amazing and fulfilling relationship. So, I would like to welcome Kelly Brandley. Kelly is a scientific dating and relationship coach and certified matchmaker based here in Zurich who supports clients around the world to rekindle failing relationships or to start over and get back into the dating scene again following divorce. She helps free them from past heartache and teaches them how to find and pick the right mate as well as guides them through the first year of a new relationship. Working with people is no stranger to Kelly. So for many, many years, Kelly has been supporting people through major life transitions, actually for over a decade. As a past executive recruiter and business owner, she has successfully supported and coached hundreds of people through new and sometimes difficult relationships, both on the corporate and personal side. After going through her own personal experience with divorce and starting over, she has followed her passion to help men, women, and couples find, build, and keep amazing and fulfilling relationships. Her philosophy is that no matter how much anxiety, sadness, relationship difficulties, frustration, or loss of hope you currently have in your life, you can always rebound and find and keep a fulfilling relationship 
full of love, joy, and true happiness. So you can tell now I'm excited, right? Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Thank you for being here. I'm really excited, you can tell. <laughs> yes, me too. It's, a, it's my most passionate topic to talk about, so it's a great yes. opportunity. I don't know any, a lot of people who does this job, Kelly. No, it's, uh, it's not a common uh, career path. I think it's uh, yes. <laughs> there's something really in the university that sets you up to do this. It's a combination of life experience, passion, And I think combined with my medical background, which leads into why I became a scientific dating Mm. relationship coach. Right. Tell us a little bit more about scientific dating and relationship coach. What does that mean? But what scientific dating and relationship does is it looks at scientific studies of how relationships work and what helps keep them happy and healthy over time. Yeah. So I trained with um, Dr. Terry Orbach. She's known as the love doctor. And she has been leading a 30-year study where she's followed the same 373 couples for this period of time. So she started following them when they first got married. Yeah. And she talks to them every one or two years and finds out where their relationship is at. That's amazing. 30 years. And that, I find it fascinating. So. What she's seen is, you know, through marriage and then early marriage time, having children and going through the challenges of raising a family. Some have separated and divorced. Some have stayed together. There's Mm -hmm. been illness, loss of spouses, all kinds of things. And she's published all this data. Okay. And by watching couples over such a long period of time, you can really see the patterns of what works, what keeps people happy. Yeah. And that's really the foundation of the coaching that I do. Yeah. One thing that I really want to ask Kelly, and um, I'm sure this is the question of so many people who are listening to this recording. Why do intimate relationships form the basis of true happiness? This is, I love this question. This is something that people ask me a lot and really want to understand. And I think Mm -hmm. I use a theory called the six primary human needs. And this is a theory that was created by Tony Robbins and Chloe Madonis. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people know Tony Robbins. He's this big motivational guru. He does a lot of onstage coaching. And the basis of this theory is that every human being, our motivation and behavior comes from these six basic human needs. Mm-hmm. So just quickly what they are is the need for certainty. So everybody's looking to have stability, safety, and comfort in their life. You'll say people go towards comfort and try to avoid pain. This is uncertainty. Then we have the need for variety. This is our need. As soon as we feel stable, we want to have change and we want to have um, stimulus. So things that excite us. So that's also important. Then we're looking for significance, which is our need to feel special and to be worthy of love and attention. Mm-hmm. This is also a key need we have. And then love and connection. So the need to feel that you belong to something and that you're able to give and receive love. Mm-hmm. So these are the four what we call basic needs. And then there's two which are more spiritual, not in a religious sense, but these two needs are what lead to ultimate fulfillment. Right. And they're the ability to grow, so to learn and expand our abilities, and the ability to contribute. Mm-hmm. So to give, 
to others beyond ourselves without expecting something back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first four is basically much more related to we as people to live here feeling well. Mm-hmm. And the last two, the growth and contribution is to share what we have. To, what yeah, we can grow and to share. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so why relationships can lead to ultimate fulfillment is yeah. because with the last two, growth and contribution, in order for people to feel free and stable enough to work on those two needs, they need to have their first four needs met. And how do we get those needs met? Well, we get them met in different spheres of our life. We can get it met in our career. We can feel significant and make money and feel stable. Mm-hmm. We can get it met in our social circles, or we can get it met by ourselves. Yes. Of course, intimate relationships, when you're in an intimate relationship, the person that you're with can do a lot to go and contribute into you meeting those first four needs. And once you've met those first four needs, then you're free to go on mm-hmm. and grow and contribute. Mm-hmm. So an example of this, of how we often see this, and I'll get this with clients coming to me, is I'll see um, a super successful person. And yeah. to the outside world, they look like they have everything. You know, they've got the successful career, they've got money, they go on beautiful holidays, all these things, but they feel empty inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even though they may be getting love and connection from you know their family their parents and the people they're working with they're lacking that really deep intimate connection and that full trusting ability with somebody mm-hmm. that allows them to feel free to express who they are mm-hmm. and it's when you're in a relationship and you have the stability that you ultimately can reach this level of fulfillment mm-hmm. you know and people will describe it differently it can be passion it can be your own purpose you're feeling mm-hmm. your your purpose in life. Yeah. So is it something that couple really need to discuss while they're getting to know each other? Or how do they assess where they're at consciously? Consciously, you mean in terms of how their needs are being fulfilled today? In Yes, as in relation to this also potential long-term partner. I wish everybody was fully aware <laughs> of, of where they are at. You know, I mean, that would be one of my goals in working with people over time is to help them really understand. The thing is most people aren't consciously aware of these things. They're happening subconsciously. And a lot of our behaviors are our attempt to fulfill our needs that we we aren't getting met. And this can be one of the the main reasons that people have conflict in a in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting to know somebody, I think it's important from from your side when you start out in a relationship to know okay what are my most important needs how am i meeting these needs today and how could a potential partner help me meet those needs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if you're somebody who is very focused your top need is you need to feel really loved and connected you need to look at what's going on in your life that's able to fulfill those needs currently Mm -hmm. and what kind of partner would help to fulfill those needs. Mm-hmm. And I think a little bit later, I'm going to go into attachment mm-hmm. styles and yeah. it will become probably a lot clearer when we look at attachment styles. <laughs> yes. How other partners can contribute to filling that need or make you feel insecure in filling that need. How being in a relationship is actually 
more empowering for your growth compared to not being in a relationship? Like I said, when you're in a relationship and it's a healthy functioning relationship, yeah. yes. you're getting these four basic needs met mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. So you have stability, mm-hmm. you have certainty that they're going to be met and yes. you feel free. Mm-hmm. If any one of your four basic needs isn't met, you're going to default in filling that need first. Right. You are doing your own, you are become your priority, basically. Exactly. So until you've fulfilled those four, you're not free. Like even in yourself, you're not free to really go into growth and contribution because mm-hmm. you're, you're feeling that you're lacking something. So yes. So choosing the right one is important. <laughs> yes. I think uh, that's a lot of what I focus on with work because especially people out of divorce, that's a common point they'll say is I chose the wrong partner, Mm -hmm. but they don't know why that partner was wrong from them. They just know that there was a lot of conflict in the relationship. They argued a lot about the same things over and over again, but they don't have the understanding of why that was an issue. So right now, actually I'm working with a, a couple. It's a very interesting pair and they've been together for 15 years yes and they have three children and basically since the third child was born they've kind of stopped talking to each other like almost completely okay Um, they've moved into separate bedrooms and what was initially thought of as the issue was having the third child meant that the wife needed more support from the husband Mm -hmm. And so he decided to take a lesser job. So he was in management and he decided to to give up his management role and take a job that allowed him to be home earlier in the evening to support her more with the children. Yeah. And he was convinced that this was going to solve their marital problems, which unfortunately didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I'm only actually working with the woman, which is interesting, but the husband's not prepared to come to coaching. But what I've been working with her on is understanding, okay, what are his needs in this and what are your needs in this? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that she said is he is so focused on significance. This is mm-hmm. one of his top human needs. And so when he was in a management role, he felt very significant. Yes. Yes. And he was getting a lot of respect and um, praise from his colleagues and other management. And he felt that Good this needs to be now he's changed this job to support her. He's not feeling significant at work and he's coming home to a household where there's a lot of tension Yes, and not feeling very significant, mm-hmm. not feeling um, certain that he can provide for her what mm-hmm. she needs because she's not happy. Mm-hmm. And what we've been working on together is saying, okay, yes, you have needs, but how can you help your husband be more available to you by helping meet his need for significance? Mm-hmm. And we've been working together now um, for about, I think about six or eight weeks now Yes, of helping her meet this need of significance for her husband. And it's been transformational to their marriage. He doesn't know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's just all of a sudden become much more open. You know, they've stopped talking about divorce and they're now starting to talk about connection again. Mm. It's been really phenomenal in transforming their marriage. And I think, this is for me one of the greatest things of understanding how these needs work. Yes. Now he's able to help her need for love and connection because that's what's been missing for her. 
Yes. So basically understanding the needs and then find the bridge or find the way to provide that for each other. Exactly. exactly. Is the key. It's about giving actually, isn't it? Yes, I think relationships are about showing up to give. And we can think of relationships in sort of three levels. Yeah. So level one is your most basic level and it's very selfish love. Mm -hmm. So you're there to get what you want out of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And people at level one will often be quite manipulative Mm. and can come. Yeah. I mean, it can be perceived by the other person because it is all about them. Yeah. The level two relationship goes much more into um, a trading relationship. So I'll give to you, but I expect you to give to me. Okay. Um, That's sort of the best case. The worst case is when you give to me, then I'll give to you. And then it becomes a blockage. Level two relationships tend to be, they function very well, but they tend to lack passion. Right. Yeah. So this is where people will say, oh yeah, it's like, you know, we're roommates. Yeah get along. He's a good friend. She's a good friend to me, but there's no passion left. Mm, mm. Practical things, how to get the house organized. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And a level three relationship is when you start to understand my role in this relationship is to meet my partner's needs and to give my partner without expecting that they're going to give back. Mm -hmm. And when both partners are at that level and giving freely and openly to the other person, Mm-hmm. Then you enter this wonderful, this is more the idealized relationship of both people get their needs met, both people feel good, and you're more fulfilled because now you're reaching that need of contribution you're giving mm-hmm. beyond yourself. You're there yeah. to give and not to get. When people start relationship on level, not level one, type one, can they grow into the other level? Absolutely. This, okay. is, this is absolutely possible. It's about becoming aware. Yeah. And so much of what we do in relationships, our behavior is unconscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And through the simple act of becoming conscious of what we're doing, then we can change those behaviors. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's probably heard this. You can never change your partner. You can only change yourself. Yes. And this sounds really good on the surface until you actually have to start changing yourself. (laughs) And a lot of my clients, you know, when they first come to coaching, this is the thing. It's my partner does this, this, and this, and I need them to change. Mm -hmm. It's difficult because then I'll, I'll bring it back to them, you know, and one of the questions is, well, what can you change in this situation? Yeah. People tend to be initially resistant of this, but that's the only person you can change. Yes. And so when you, want to be at a level three relationship, you need to be the one to start giving freely. Mm -hmm. If you wait for your partner, you're going to be stuck at the highest at level two. Yeah. Yeah. At the highest level two. Yes. You don't need to do coaching as a pair. I mean, I, I think it would be good to do that in a way, is it? But it's enough just to start with you. Absolutely. So I, I do have quite often one of the partner will come and start and then in time they will see the need to bring their partner in and then they will join us in the coaching at a later stage mm-hmm. but you can change a relationship on your own yeah yeah show up differently exactly and then it changes the dynamic yeah it's like a dance i mean if you're dancing with somebody and you're dancing tango 
and then all of a sudden you switch and start dancing the foxtrot, yeah. the person you're with, they either have to change and start dancing the dance that you're dancing or they're going to back away. And in some situations, the backing away is bringing you to do mm -hmm. that dance with somebody else. Yes. But more times than not, they will recognize that you've changed the dance and they will step up and, and match that with you. What does science tell us makes for a happy and healthy relationship? So again, this is something I <laughs> can go into many, many different topics on, but there's two areas that I think everybody should be aware of. Yes. Um, whether you're new to dating or in a relationship, understanding these two areas, I think, are really fundamental to a happy relationship. Yes. Um, so the first one is understanding your key life values. And you'll hear people say in relationship, oh, you need to have common hobbies and interests. Yes. So science tells us this is not true. This is absolutely not true. You can have completely different interests and have a very happy relationship. Yes. Where you need to align is on your values. Mm -hmm. And the science shows that there's about 15 values that people have in their life, but there's five really key values. Okay. And for a relationship to be successful, you need to match on a minimum of three of these values. Three out of five. Three out of five. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, of course, if you've got five out of five, that's brilliant. Yes. <laughs> Great but, start. <laughs> yeah. But happy couples over time will match on at least three of their values. Got it. So what are these top yes. five? Values? What are these? Uh, so the first one, well, again, in no specific order, but beliefs about money and finance. You hear a lot of couples break up over money. Yes. A lot. A lot. I could do a whole other podcast on this because money's or arguments about money are never really about money. Yes. Um, but it is something that comes up a lot, but you need to have a fundamental alignment in terms of what you believe about saving money, spending money, um, what your retirement looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, questions like, do you have joint bank accounts or separate bank accounts? Mm hmm. And what about the earning of both partners? Should both partners be working and earning similar money? Or is it okay that one earns and supports the family unit uh, yeah. as a result of that? So that's a, a first one. The second one is about family and children. Mm -hmm. So obvious questions, do we want children? If yes, how many? After divorce, it becomes the very clear one. How do we see patchwork families? Yes. Um, do we want to parent the other's children or do we want to support our partner in parenting their own children. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Does one partner stay at home to look after the children or do they both work? Also the extended family, you know, how involved are you with your in-laws? Yes. Um, caring for them. How do you spend the holidays? Yes. It's often a big one, you know, I mean, are we, you know, is it you, me and our kids for the holidays or is it every aunt, uncle, grandparent, cousin together? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. These can be points of contention if, if you don't clarify them uh, up front. Then another big one is spirituality and faith. Mm -hmm. mm, so yes. Science actually shows that you don't have to have the same religious beliefs, mm -hmm. but you need to have the same level of importance of spirituality. Mm -hmm. So it could be that, you know, if if one person is Christian and the other person is 
Muslim, for example, and they both value their religion and they respect each other's religion, this can work. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to have the sort of balance in terms of how much importance do you put in terms of spirituality and religion? How does that impact your day-to-day life? You know, if one person wants to pray and the other one doesn't want them to pray at the table before a meal, then it can cause conflict. Um, And also, how does that influence your dynamics with children? Do you raise them in a religious affiliation or spiritually? Then job and career, um, this kind of relates to what we talked a little bit about family in terms of how you both do both work. Is career, though, about a means to an end? Is it to earn money? Or is career part of your life's purpose? Yes. yeah, so then so it, this, it fits into which needs is this career playing, basically. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And is, is career a way to meet your need for security and always having this fixed income? Mm-hmm. Or is it meeting your need for significance? Mm-hmm. Is it meeting your need for variety or contribution? Contribution, exactly. Oh, growth. growth. Yeah, or growth. I mean, yeah. so it's a very important one of understanding. And this when you're with a spouse who all of a sudden wants to quit their high earning job in a bank to become a coach (laughs) and your value is, wait a second, we need to keep earning the money for security. You're going to have a conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of this also, because, because, you know, I live in Switzerland, I see this a lot is how culture influences everything they're discussing in this. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Different cultures have very different. Um, yeah. belief systems exactly okay. and, and it's just I have, I have observed many couples who are struggling because of not discussing these things and, and culture is everywhere yeah. <laughs> very very much um, there's um, a really great book I'll just mention it now and I hope yes. I get the reference right um, it's John Gottman he's um, a relationship yes, yes. it's called Eight Dates Eight dates. Okay. Eight dates. And this book is phenomenal for people getting into the dating scene because it goes through the dates you want to have with somebody to understand all these key life values. Perfect. And it gives you questions. Even if you're, you're married for years, get the book and do the dates and learn so much about your spouse. I mean, it's yes. phenomenal. Yes. Oh, I wanted to mention something about different cultures. Because I work globally, I work with a lot of intercultural relations. Yes. Yes. And so I get to see, yeah, I mean, really all kinds of different interactions, potential clashes and belief systems. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, in some ways, I'm still surprised um, <laughs> working with different people, how certain cultures have very deep rooted fundamental beliefs mm-hmm. um, that we kind of don't assume. So I was working once with one client who's Japanese mm. and I wasn't aware that in Japanese culture, it's more traditional for the woman to man- manage the finances in the family. Mm. Oh, really? I didn't know that either. So in a lot of Western cultures, it's, it's sort of the man typically yes. takes that role. Yes. Um, and this was a, a point of um, conflict because, you know, when you've got one culture who thinks it's the man's role and the other culture who thinks it's the woman's role, and they've never discussed this. Mm. Um, you've got all these sort of behaviors happening in the relationship that nobody understands. Yes. And once we unpack that and realize that these were cultural differences, yes. they were much more open and able to then work through, okay, let's negotiate what's yes. your role and what's my role. Yes. We have a saying in Indonesia, if uh, I'm a female, then I would say, my money is my money, your money is my money. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's very interesting. I actually wasn't completely aware of this, but a couple of years ago, one of my friend actually was getting married and she was saying this and I was really like, oh, do we have that as a principal? Because I had been away for so long and this is, and thinking about it, maybe this was also what my mom was doing. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Yes. And my dad would just go here. Here's my income. And then he just, yeah, I just follow the rest. I just give you the income and then you manage the rest. Exactly. And- <laughs> You have a different understanding of how money is dealt with and all of a sudden you're in a relationship where this is the expectation. I mean, you see that it seems obvious to us that we should have these discussions. Yes. The reality is, is that most people don't ever have these discussions, even when they're married, they're, you know, they can be together for 20 years. And I have couples coming to me where they've never understood this about their partner. Mm. And so part of conscious dating, and this is what I I hope to impart on a lot of people, part of conscious dating is being open and willing to have these discussions early in a relationship. Yes, yes. And not be fearful that asking questions like this is going to make a potential partner run for the hills. Yes. Um, I think if they do, that says a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It says a lot. But I also think that uh, there's a lot of people who had who is at the mindset that instead of thinking how can we build a bridge between these two, rather it's like you have to go all the way in or I need to go all the way there. And this is not the healthiest in a way because some way in some way you're not fully truthful about your values, right? I, I like to bring this back. Everybody, when you look at what are people's top top values in a relationship honesty is quite often one of the top three yes but honesty is interpreted very differently by people yeah so we tend to think of honesty as i'm not gonna lie about what i'm doing or who i'm with or those kind of things yes but really honesty has a much deeper foundation which is about am i being honest with myself about my feelings and am i communicating those feelings to my partner Mm. and There is the sense when you don't show up fully authentically in who you are in a relationship. Yeah. There's this level of dishonesty. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And and people feel this. I mean, we think people don't know, but when you've got a very important need or value and you haven't communicated that, it comes out later. So in new dating relationships, I I hear this a lot from women. They'll say, I really want to get remarried. Mm Mm-hmm. And they'll be dating a guy for weeks or months. And I'll say, have you communicated this to them? And they'll say, oh, no, I don't want him to get scared. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, but if you bring this up and this doesn't match with his value, then you guys have a conflict. And if you brought this up at the beginning, and we're very clear, this is what I'm looking for. You might have said at the beginning, no, this isn't a guy that I want to invest my time in. Yeah. 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 So I, I do think it's really important to be honest. To Absolutely. And this is the other thing though, in my life coaching program, this is very interesting. I don't think they intend not to be honest, but they haven't spent time to ask themselves these questions to begin Correct. with. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. When there's a problem that they go, oh, I need to do something. And then, then I started question, in life coaching. I started asking all these questions. They go, yeah, very good question I think exactly okay so I just wanted to come back and just sort of close off the five key life values 
The last one is the belief about health and fitness. This is a major one. So about how important is nutrition to you? What kind of lifestyle do you want to eat? Are you, you know, somebody who's vegan, etc.? Exercise is important. You know, do you value exercise and do you make time in your relationship for exercise? How do you view things like weight? And what are your expectations of perhaps maintaining weight through your relationship with somebody? And then what happens if your partner were to get ill or disabled? How do you view your role in that? And I think these are they're mm. very sensitive topics, but mm. I think, again, important ones to discuss yes. um, to make sure that you're on the same page with your partner. Definitely. Definitely. I think looking at my parents, for example, from them, they never talk about it, but they behave in a certain way that they're fully committed to help each other, you know, and because my mom was ill a lot. So in my mind, that become the norm. Yeah, exactly. Okay? So go on in life and then I, meet, I, I, I get to know a lot of couples and I hear something completely different. And this was shocking for me. But again, it was just something I grew up with. Yeah, and people will enter relationships with this belief that if something happened to me, my partner would be there yeah. um, to take care of me. But if they grew up in a family where let's say somebody got sick and one of their partners then decided this is too much for me, I need to go on and live my own life. Yes. And their belief system may be that as long as we're healthy, mm -hmm. we're together. But if something happens, then it's my free right. will and choice to exit the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say that one is right and the other is wrong. I think society tends to, to tell us that you should behave a certain way. And yes. we yes. believe that we feel it, but each person has the right to their own belief system. And you want to find a person who's compatible in that belief. Right. With then in terms of the second area that I think leads to happy and healthy relationships, mm, and it's yes. one of my most passionate areas, I love talking about this, and <laughs> it's the idea of attachment styles. Okay. So basically, attachment styles came from the mother-child bond. It was a, a theory developed in the 50s. And then it was re-evaluated by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller, and they applied it to adult relationships. Okay. And what they found is people will fall into three basic categories, and then there's a fourth combination. So the first one is the secure attachment style. So the secure person is very much comfortable in intimate relationships. They can share their feelings quite openly, and they feel very trusting that they're going to get the love reciprocated and that their person they're with is going to still be there for them. Yes. This is about roughly 50% of the population will have a secure attachment style. Okay. And then there's two um, insecure attachment styles. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, these type of people in their childhood didn't get their needs met by their primary caregivers. Got it. Yeah. And so they were always looking for this level of security. And they tend to develop two quite opposite ways to coping with this lack of security. Mm -hmm. So the first person will is called anxious or preoccupied. Yeah. And they're the type of person who, when they don't get their needs met, they try and go after them. So they chase to get their needs. Yeah. 
And I like to use the metaphor of a rock climber when I think of, of the anxious person. So if you can imagine climbing a rock face, yes. um, every time you move your hand or your foot, yes. your, your stability is at risk. Yes. Yes. Right? Correct. Yes. And so you, you have this sort of internal tension that something bad could always happen. Yes. You could lose love. You could lose your partner. Just like when you're rock climbing, you could fall. You could fall. Yes. Yeah. And so they're very, the preoccupation is they're very focused on their relationship, the task at hand, and they can tend to block out a lot Everything else now. that goes on the, around them. Okay. So that's the, the anxious person. So the world have, becomes this relationship. Exactly. So okay. when we look at the six human needs, love and connection is pretty much always at the top of their list. Yes. And they're always focused on making sure that they've got that love and connection and the security of it. Yeah. Yeah. The other one is the dismissive avoidant. Mm -hmm. And this person grew up realizing that because their needs weren't met, the easiest way for them to cope was to simply shut them off or contain them. Mm -hmm. And this type of person can be sometimes perceived of, as being unemotionally or emotionally unavailable mm -hmm. because they don't know how to freely express their needs because they, they learned as children that their needs won't be met. Yeah. And I like to think of the avoidant type as a scuba diver. Okay. So a scuba diver can be in, in a relationship happily swimming along with their partner. All will seem to be going very, very well. And then something will happen where they feel like they've suddenly run out of air. Mm. And their only way to deal with this feeling is really to like immediately leave their partner, swim to the surface and get air. Yeah. And yeah. Um, if they're really extreme on this, they might actually just get out of the water and go away. <laughs> and depending how, how sort of secure they are on that, they might then get the air, calm their breathing and then come back to their partner. Right. And then... The fourth group we have is what we call fearful. And this is um, a person who's never really quite found what works for them. So they try both strategies kind of all the time. So one moment they'll be very anxious and they can be tending to be clingy and going after. And the other moment they'll be running away. Aloof and disconnected. Yeah, they're really hard to figure out um, because, yeah, they've got this sort of conflicting thing. So when we look at relationships, what often happens is, so when two secure people get together, this is a very healthy, harmonious, can be love, can freely flow type of relationship. Mm -hmm. They tend to get together quite quickly. They're very confident, but then they'll stay together their whole life. It's mm -hmm. not to say they don't have conflicts. They certainly yeah. do. But there, there's a level of security and foundation there that keeps it calm. The anxious and the avoidant tend to get together a lot because this is where you get polarity. Yes. Each person sees in the other person parts that they miss in themselves and they're attracted to. Yes. Yes. But it can create a very dynamic, we call this the anxious avoidant trap. Because what happens is you get into the sort of cat and mouse chase. You know, yeah. one partner will pull back, the other will run after and chase. Yeah then maybe they switch and the other one runs away and, you know, and if we use the analogy of the, the diver and the rock climber for the diver, the avoidant in the relationship, if you're with an anxious person, when you feel this need to swim to the surface and get air, 
Yeah. The anxious person will hold you down underwater. <laughs> you know, you'll, <laughs> yeah, and you feel like you just get suffocated mm. in this type of dynamic. And for the rock climber person, when you're with an avoidant person, it's like they're looking down at you, like when you're climbing this rock face, and they're just saying, let go, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> you know, and this anxiety that you have, it's like, it's not going to be okay. So I like to help people, you know, really when we're starting with dating or in relationships, really get to understand their own attachment style, mm. what triggers them, and also the type of attachment style of a potential partner or who they're with. Mm. I want to give a caveat here. In yeah. this book, it's called Attached. It's called Nella. Detached or Attached? Attached. Attached, okay. It's a fantastic book, but one critique I have of the book is it seems to simplify the belief that the best way to be happy in a relationship is just to get with a secure person, mm. which I think is too simplistic. One, especially because, okay, 50% are secure and they tend to couple very quickly and stay coupled. They're underrepresented in the dating pool once you've coming back into after a divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. avoidant people tend to be overrepresented in the dating pool simply because they tend to run when things get a little bit difficult. And so there's a lot. I do believe it doesn't matter what your attachment style is. You can build a very happy and fulfilling relationship with somebody with another attachment style. Yeah. Once you become aware and start to understand and appreciate who they are. Mm-hmm. You know? So if you hear somebody saying my partner doesn't understand me, yeah. quite often what's coming up is their attachment styles are clashing mm. and they're not understanding each other. Yeah. Would you also say that when they are aware that they have this belief love is not available for me that created the anxiety or the detachment, can they change that, that inner story? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Every, nothing in life and relationship is fixed. Mm. We all have the capacity to change dramatically in our lives. Mm-hmm. But we need to first become aware of yeah. why we do the things we do. Yeah. And also when you become aware, you, you grow the sense of compassion and empathy for another person. Well, we can look at somebody and we can define them. We'll judge them and then say, okay, that guy's a player, you know, he's constantly going out and dating different women or he's hooking up or whatever. But when you start to understand actually behind that man is probably somebody who has a very deep childhood wound of not getting his needs met. Yeah. And every time he gets close to somebody, he feels overwhelmed. Yes. And he needs to get out of that connection. Yeah. So he's not intentionally going around and and using people. He's actually just protecting himself. Himself. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. And I think that it's so much about getting compassion and also for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, When you start to understand your own personal behaviors, then you can see why you're doing certain things. Yes. Yes. You know? And uh, a little self-disclosure, I'm, I'm personally somebody who has an anxious attachment style. That's my nature. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that anxious people will do is we will tend to not express our needs very openly because we are afraid they won't get met. Yeah. And we'll, we've often been with avoidant people who then would run when we expressed our needs. So yeah. we kind of have learned this over time. But what we do is something called protesting. 
Yeah. And anybody who has an anxious style will recognize this immediately. Is what we do is we'll push down our needs for quite some time and we'll accept things that don't really fit us. We won't yeah. be totally honest. And we'll start to build this resentment. So it'll boil a little bit below the surface. And then it will come out at the most inappropriate time in the most inappropriate way. Yeah. And we'll start an argument without realizing why we're starting an argument. Right. And once we've started the argument, inevitably what we'll do is then bring it to the topic we really wanted to discuss. Yes. So if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody with an, an anxious attachment style and they've started an argument about something, it could be something simple like the garbage. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you'll find yourself discussing how much time you spend together. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't make sense. And for, for somebody who's avoidant, this makes no logical no sense at all. Like but anyway. for the anxious person, this is a way of trying to protect themselves from damaging the relationship Yeah. by saying, okay, now I'm in a situation where we're having anyways a discussion. I now feel safe to really voice my true needs, which is I'm not feeling that I'm getting the love and connection that I really want. And I'm trying to connect with you in a way that I can get that from you. Yeah. Very nice example. That's interesting. Like I mean, when I, when I finally understood this, I could start to look at some of the things I was doing. And then you, then it's easy to stop yourself. Yes, 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 yes. You're aware. You're like, okay, I know what I'm doing here. Okay, now I can stop it and, uh, you know, take a different path. And that's how over time you can really change your attachment style to become much more secure. You are saying about dating mm -hmm. earlier. Would you have tips Absolutely. So one of the main reasons actually that I started coaching, and I want to just give a little backstory <laughs> on this, but when I got into matchmaking, so matchmaking doesn't seem like a logical transition from exec, executive search and recruiting, but it actually is. And I'll tell you why. So when I was working as an exec search, I was connecting candidates with companies, but ultimately managers. So it's really connecting people with people. Yes. And I started to realize that I was struggling with some of the, the ways companies were behaving and the value they were putting on humans. And I realized I would love this job if I could just connect candidates with candidates because I love working with candidates. Yes. And that's how I got into matchmaking. And so I started matching people, but then it became very clear to me is people would say, I just want to meet somebody and I want to connect with them. But then the relationships wouldn't hold. Mm. And I got to thinking, why are relationships, you know, they seem on paper like they should work, but they're not really. Yes. And then I started to understand that people come into relationships at any stage, but especially after divorce with emotional baggage. Mm. And in order to help people really find these healthy, fulfilling relationships, I needed to help them unpack this baggage first. Yes. yes. So that's what led me into the coaching. So there is more space. There's more space, there's more understanding, yes. there's more empathy for the people they're getting into relationship with, there's yes. more um, kindness to themselves. Yes. And so one of the first things I always do when I'm working with single clients who want to start dating again is I take them through um, an analysis of their emotional baggage mm -hmm. to try and see how much they've brought from past relationships and how that's going to impact their relationships. 
And I have, it's a really simple quiz. It's 10 questions. Yeah. And if you go to my website, yep. um, you can download that quiz. Yes. And just give your, yourself a test of what level your emotional baggage is and maybe if there's some work that you need to do before getting into a relationship. What is your website, Kelly? Can you share? It's uh, www.kellybrandley.com. Okay. So go there to get the quiz. Exactly. Um, so that's one thing dating we do is we look at your emotional baggage. And then the next thing we want to do is go into key life values mm. and creating a partner quality list. Mm-hmm. And I do believe very much in having a list. I think yes. it's like going grocery shopping, you know, if you go into the grocery store with a list, you're likely to come out with what you're looking for. Yeah. You don't go with a list. You end up just throwing all kinds of stuff into your basket and you get out and you're like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> Very often happen. Exactly. So that's two things that I think are also very important. Clarifying your key life values, what values you want to match with a potential partner. Yeah. And then creating this partner quality list. When we look at lists, there's a difference between having high standards and being picky. I want to just Mm. make a comment on that. Yes. Because I think everybody should have very high standards. Mm -hmm. I agree. Standards are the way you allow somebody to treat you. Yeah. And you should never compromise on this. If somebody treats you badly, that's a red flag. And I think you shouldn't continue to be in a relationship. Now, there's an overshadowing of have you understood why somebody's behaving in a certain way? Yes. But definitely if they treat you badly, that's a standard thing. Being picky comes down to what qualities you're looking for in a potential partner. Yeah. And I think when it comes to that, you should be much more open than a lot of people are. Right. You know, people will have a very specific list and say, this person has to have a university degree from an Ivy League school. Mm. Okay. And we'll work together with the client of understanding, okay, what is it about that? That's Ivy League and the education. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and and it could be a value about education, their, their belief in career and how that plays out in a relationship, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so those are, are two things. And then the deal breakers is a really important one. Mm. You need to understand what your deal breakers are and respect them. Mm-hmm. So one that comes up a lot is someone will say, I absolutely don't want to date a smoker. This is a no go mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll have a client come back and say, Oh, I met this great guy on the weekend. He's this, 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 he's wonderful, but he smokes. Okay. This, this is something that you said is absolutely a deal breaker how do you foresee this relationship progressing yes with somebody who's a smoker because chances are what's going to happen is you're going to expect them to give up smoking for you mm. and you're going to nag and nag and nag and nag and nag yes and that's not going to make for a very happy relationship yes so deal breakers are key and then you need to respect those mm-hmm. and then attachment style what what's your attachment style what are you looking for in a partner and how do you navigate different attachment styles and yeah. how can you grow with somebody that you both can heal to become more secure in a new relationship? There's a lot to do to prepare yourself basically, but it's a yes, good and process think- and a necessary process because then the matching mm-hmm. is going to be much more efficient. I'm using the recruitment language here. Matching will be much more efficient, wouldn't you say? I do believe that if you are prepared when you start dating again, 
um, and you've got a deeper level of understanding, you're going to be much more likely to build and keep a very happy, fulfilling, exciting relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you go in without doing the work up front, what I see is you risk just connecting with somebody who you have a perhaps a physical, a chemical connection to. There's a lot of attraction. Mm -hmm. But if you're not looking at where your values and foundation match, mm -hmm. it's ultimately not going to be a long-term relationship and it's going to For those who are still in a relationship, what advice would you give them? So then I would first start with looking at the six human needs and helping them raise their relationship to a level three relationship looking at their partner and putting themselves in their partner's position to understand what their top two human needs are mm -hmm. and then working with them to understand how can I meet my partner's two needs in a very giving, unselfish, loving, generous way. And then working with them on their attachment style. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you've been with somebody for 20 years, if you haven't understood their attachment style, this is a fantastic opportunity to get to know somebody on a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, this is where relationships can transform completely. Yes. Once you get this understanding, something that bothered you, your whole relationship can suddenly disappear. Yes. And uh, my aunt told me this, and I, I've always thought this was a great tip, is she said, when you have a problem with your partner, and we tend to say, you know what I hate about you is when you do X, Y, Z. She said to me, we should just turn it around and say, when somebody does something that bothers us, we say, you know what I really love about you mm -hmm. is that you do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And by changing this in our mind, we go from a point of self-preservation yeah. to compassion and yeah. giving to the other person. So basically, if I were to summarize three things that keep popping up in this conversation for people to take away with, number one, understand your needs. <laughs> this is <very> absolutely <laughs> the second is understand your values, particularly in these five areas, and also understand your attachment style. Yes. And I didn't mention it, but if you also go to my website. Yes. There's three questions that you can ask yourself. It's a really simple way to try and determine your own yeah. attachment style. And you'll find those three questions on my website. There's much more um, intensive ways to assess this. And if somebody's really interested in going into this, of course, they can contact me and I'd be happy to bring them through a full assessment of it. Exactly. How can people reach out to you? So they can visit my website. It's like mm -hmm. kellybrandley.com. And there you can sign up. I offer a free 60-minute dating after divorce or relationship strategy session. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about what's going on in your life and what some of your goals are and how I could help you in those areas. You can get the emotional baggage quiz there and the three questions on attachment. Mm -hmm. You can also follow me on Instagram under Kelly Brandley. And there I post relationship and dating tips and also on Facebook. Okay, when you're ready to get help 
in creating a plan of action to have another relationship. Get in touch with Kelly and take advantage of her 60 minutes complimentary dating after divorce or relationship strategy session. And when you're ready to get help in breaking unconscious patterns that stop you from showing up in your life as your authentic self, reach out to me at www.upliftmylife.today or email me at astuti at upliftmylife.today. In the meantime, I'd like you to remember that as you are making your steps toward what you desire, what you desire is making steps towards you too. So see you in the next episode and bye for now.